ספיפה חיה שרה בת שמחה ורפואה שלמה, and we are starting a new parasha, they keep on coming, and this is parashat re'eh. Okay, let's find it, new parasha. Re'eh anochi noten nefnechem hayom. So God, so the Moshe Rabbeinu was talking. See, re'eh means to see. Anochi, I. I'm presenting in front of you today a berakha, a blessing, and a curse. So that she says that these are the curses and the blessings that were made on two mountains, like we're going to read in a few weeks from now. One mountain was called Har Girizim, and the other mountain was called Har Eval. So these were two blessings and curses were said. Uh, we're going to see. Now Moshe Rabbeinu review. Regarding the blessing, that you should listen in mitzvot Hashem Elokechem. Listen to the mitzvot Hashem Anochim Mesabeit Chemayom that I'm commanding you. That means, if you want the beracha, the beracha is contingent. It's on condition. Condition of what? That you listen. Very simple. You want beracha, listen to Hashem. Listen to the mitzvot. Listen to His will. God forbid, where does curse come from? If you don't listen, and God forbid you will sway from the path that I'm commanding you today, you're going to follow other gods. Uh, that you did not know until this point. So that she says, anybody that worships Abu Dazara, that's considered he strayed from the entire path. And that's why the Hachamim teach us a lesson that if a person commits idolatry, it's as if he's denying the entire Torah. A person cannot say, well, I do Abu Dazara, but I believe in you know some of the other mitzvot. No. It's considered a complete defection. If somebody worships Abu Dazara, he's considered totally out. You don't have to all 613 to be out. Even if you transgress one, which is Abu Dazara, which is the most severe, that's considered you're transgressing everything. Now again, there's a lot of emphasis in these parashiyot. We don't have Abu Dazara today. I mean, we don't have the the old-fashioned Abu Dazara of worshipping idols and images and statues and different type of, uh, uh, you know, manufactured idols that they had. But in the olden days, there was a big attraction uh, to these things. Today we have other uh, Averot that we're dealing with, Facebook and, and Twitter and those type of Abu Dazaras, which, by the way, they would have thought, just like we think it's crazy, how do they do what they did if they were living... And they would think about our generation. They would say, what's the attraction of all this social media? What's the attraction of uh, taking pictures and, uh, and posting yourself eating spaghetti and meatballs and putting it on the, meat, on the, putting it on the, on the internet and let everybody put thumbs up to say they're proud of you? So they'd also think it's crazy. But again, we're living through it and we think it's normal. So every generation has their own Abu Dazara. And the, the common denominator is it's a di- distraction and it's a diversion away from 
תורה למצוות. והיה כי ביחד אמר אלוהיך לארץ, אשר אתה באשם ובשתם, ה-God will bring you into the land, אשר אתה באשתה that you're going to inherit, that's the land of Israel, ונתת את הברכה על so these are the two mountains. The blessing is going to be given on a mountain called Mount Gerizim, or they call that today Har Berakha, and the Kedalah will be given on Mount Eval. Now, recently we were in Eretz Israel, and we actually saw these mountains. They're in the, you know, the, uh, the West Bank, as we call it. And you can go there, it's a little dangerous, but they, they have the two, the two places, the two locations where the blessings and the curses uh, were given. So that she calls the mountain uh, regarding Har Gerizim. Uh, that's, uh, they would face the mountain. They weren't standing, the people were facing the mountain. And then Moshe Rabbeinu began to bless them. And we'll see the blessings coming up. And then they turned their faces to face Gerizim. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Eval. And Eval is where the curses were given. Halohema be'ever ayyaten. So it's in an area called Elone More. Elon More, we know that is over there. Fine. Which is by Shechem, by the way. Shechem is where Yosef is buried. That's where this area is, where the blessings and the curses were given. Dangerous area. You, you can't really go into Shechem today. Only maybe once, once a month they allow Jews to go in with four or five buses in order to get in to uh, see the grave of Yosef that they always desecrate. And that's where uh, Rabbi Liebman's son, Arab Shalom, was, was murdered in that place in Shechem by the grave of Yosef before Yom Kippur. So this is where the Bnei Israel had a, a standing in this place from the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. But now it's uh, in the, the hands of our enemies. Anyway, it says, um, You're going to cross the Jordan. Uh, and the miracles of the Jordan uh, is, is, is going to be evident. That's when the Jordan River actually split, uh, which we'll read in the book of Yeshua. And so the Pasuk says, Ushmartem uh, la'asot and when you get to Eretz Yisrael, you'll continue to keep all the, the laws, the ordinances that Hashem commands. So now we're going to start to list some of the ordinances that you must observe. Number one, so when you get into Eretz Yisrael, there's a mitzvah to uproot Abu Dazara, to eradicate any place that was uh, a place where they were worshipping Abu Dazara, so you have to destroy it. And she says, et kola mekomot. Now, what, what are you going to destroy exactly? So et elohehem. You have to destroy the gods that are on the mountains. Now, you can't destroy the mountains, Let's say they put different idols or different, you know, uh, uh, you know, buildings to worship the Abu Dazara or structures. So when we come into Eretz Yisrael, there's a mitzvah to go seek out all these Abu Dazaras that are on the different mountains 
and uh, eliminate them. Ali Harim Aramim, on these tall mountains, Balagivaot, on the hills, Betahakul Etzra Anan, and under the trees. You should break apart their altars, meaning they had altars made out of stone. Matsevotam also is like um, stone uh, stone uh, uh, structures. And their trees, uh, there was a, uh, a tree that they used to worship it for Abu Dazara. It was called Asherat tree. So you have to get rid of those trees also. Actually, you have to burn them. And the that means uh, any name of Abu Dazara, you have to make fun of it. Uh, for example, there was a, a pagan temple called uh, Bet Galia. That was the name of the temple. So you should call it uh, Bet Karya, which is the house of the ditch, or house of corruption. So the nickname said Galia Karya, which is a uh, uh, one place was called uh, Enkol. You should change the name to Enkots, and the thorn in the eye. Or, uh, like she says, uh, the house, a uh, uh, place of corruption. So the point is, we have a mitzvah to make fun of the Abu Dazara. So when it says in the Pasuk, so we shall uh, destroy their names. But wait, but but you're allowed to destroy the names of the Abu Dazara, but you're not allowed to do this when it comes to Akadosh Baruch Hu. And we learn from over here that you're not allowed to destroy the Mizbeach of God. Whatever we just said to do to the Guim, you cannot do to God's temple. So, for example, you're not allowed to uh, take apart uh, the Mizbeach of Hashem, or even some people, they go to the Kotel and they take a little rock. You should not. Anything that's holy, from God, you cannot dismantle and you cannot take uh, a, a, any piece of it. Just like to, whatever you're allowed to do by the Goyim, you're not allowed to do by the by the Kodesh. And for that matter, you're not allowed to erase Hashem's name. Even though we said you can make fun of the Abu and you can eliminate their names. But here we learn that she says a transgression, you're not allowed to erase the name of Hashem, which is very, very, very serious. Uh, there are cases where there were people that became uh, they were irreligious and there was one guy that got a tattoo of the name of Hashem, Yudke Vavke. And when he got religious, he wanted to take, take the tattoo off and the rabbis wouldn't let him because you're not allowed to erase the name of Hashem. So the guy's got the name of Hashem on his uh, skin and he's got no choice He's got to keep it there. So one has to be very careful when it comes to uh, erasing the name of Hashem or destroying a holy place. Uh, sometimes, let's say when you're writing notes, you have to be careful. You can't erase the name of Hashem. When you have a book, you can't cross it out or God forbid compromise. You can only go to serve God, not all over, only to the place that he chose from all the tribes, which is Jerusalem. The place is named there. Now, this is referring to before the Beit HaMikdash was built. So before the Beit HaMikdash was built, we had a temporary structure where the Mishkan was. Anybody know where the Mishkan was 
before they built the first temple? Shiloh. That's right. Gan Shiloh. And you can go there today. I mean, uh, the place we were there a couple of months ago, it's called, uh, they have the place called Shiloh, and they claim they know from archaeology and stuff, from some rocks that they found, more or less where the Mishkan of Shiloh was. It lasted for over 350 years. So it was a long, long period of time. So that's the first place that God says, the Sheikh noted, the Shur, you will seek out God there. And in Shiloh, you will bring sacrifices. Which is Korban Ola. Sifrachem is a type of Korban called Shalamim. You'll also bring Maaser Otechem. That's the Maaser uh, Behema. That's referring to, you have to bring one out of every 10 animals uh, to give it a, 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 a tenth. Also, the tithe, 10% you have to bring to Jerusalem and eat it. And in those days, they brought it to Shiloh, and they would uh, they would eat it. Within the, well, actually, Teruma is within the walls of Jerusalem. Right, uh, a very good point. He cannot be talking about Shiloh, because you're not allowed to eat... Um, Oh, I take it back. Okay, I didn't know this. Uh, she's mentioning over here, Ma'asir Shini. Now, normally this Ma'asir Shini, which is a tithe, you take 10%, you have to normally eat it within the uh, walls of the of Jerusalem. That's the, the normal laws of Ma'asir Shini. That's normally when the Beit HaMikdash is built. But during the period of the tabernacle at Shiloh, the Ma'asir Shini can be eaten at any location from which Shiloh uh, was visible, that's right. I, I did know that. That means uh, in, in Mishkan Shiloh time, wherever you have view of Mishkan Shiloh, you can eat Maser Shini. So if you're down, you're in a mountain and you have a nice view of the Mishkan, you can eat your Maser Shini. In the, in the time of the temple, you're only allowed to eat the, uh, the Terumah, I'm sorry, Maser Shini in the walls of, uh, of Yerushalayim. So that's a, that's a difference. That's referring to the Bikunim, the first fruits that are also brought in a basket uh, in front of Hashem. That's brought to Shiloh as well. That's referring to the firstborn of the cattle that we have an obligation to give it to the Kohanim. And the Kohanim offer it in, uh, in Shiloh as well as the Beit HaMikdash itself. And you shall eat, the Kohanim shall eat the Korbanot in front of God, you'll rejoice uh, for all that Hashem has given you. Atem, you and your families, So the Pasuk says, you shall not do what we're, what we're doing over here in the desert. Each guy does what he wants. Now, what is this referring to over here? That means when, the, uh, when they cross the Jordan, you know, they were permissible to bring korbanot on private altars. The guy would build an altar in his backyard, and they were allowed to build. That was uh, 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 like we have a barbecue in our backyard. Everybody used to have an altar in their backyard. You wanted to bring korbanot, you went to your backyard, you slaughtered an animal, and you brought a korban. Now, that was only legal for the first 14 years that the Jewish people came into the land of Israel. They conquered the land for seven years, and then they divided the land amongst the tribe for seven years. So as long as they were involved in that, the um, the Bamot were uh, were okay. 
But once you're ready, the you're not allowed to bring all types of korbanot. You can only bring certain types of korbanot. Uh, she tells us the restrictions. Vinim Shah uh, has to be uh, anointed. Hataot, you can bring a sin offering, you can bring a, a guilt offering, vow offerings, donations. That that you can bring in a regular Mishkan Shilo. On the Bama, however, and So it's very limited. On the Bama, you're only allowed to bring things that you could vow or things that you could donate, which means let's say a person makes a vow. I want to bring ten korbanot Hashem. Okay, it's a vow. You can bring it on the Bama. Or a person that say, I want to donate. So you can bring those over there. Uh, but again, only in the darim and the davot. But when it comes to the mishkan, then you can bring really everything. So there are limitations. Number one, on the time that the Bama is permissible. The Bama was only permissible the first 14 years when we came into Israel. And then, then there was the mishkan. Then Bamot become forbidden. And even at the times that the Bamot were okay, you're only allowed to bring certain types of kurbanot on the Bamot namely Nidarim and the Davot, you know, Korbanot that are brought by vow or by uh, donate. Last Pasuk, Kilo batem ad'ata lemenucha belanachala, asher Hashem menuchecha noten lachali. Torah is predicting over here that there's going to be a, uh, during the 14 years, they're allowed to bring on the Bama uh, until they get to the menucha. Menucha is referring to Shiloh. And then they're going to get to the Nahala, which was after Shiloh, which is actually Yerushalayim. Ba'abaltem, etayarden, you'll cross the Jordan. Yishabtem ba'aretz, asher Hashem luchim ha'nechem And God will leave you from all your enemies. Betah. That everybody's going to get a share in Eretz Yisrael after they conquer it and divide it. And there's going to be peace from the Goyim. God's going to Make everybody uh, you know fear you, and then already we're going to be able to build the Beit Hamikdash, which happens many years later in the times of David and Shlomo, and uh, that's uh, that's the prediction. These are all things that are being predicted before they happen. That's it shows you how the Torah's emit. When when this was said, it was before we came into Israel, before we went to Shiloh, before we built the Beit Hamikdash, and all these things were being predicted step by step, that it's going to happen. And then they actually, it came to fruition. It just shows you that, um, you know, all these predictions that we have in the Torah, uh, those that came true already, and those that did not come true, but if it's in the Torah, rest assured that it's uh, just a matter of time. Okay, this is for the we did one complete aliyah tonight, which is good. Coming up.
Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Shalom, Mavi. How are you? Baruch Hashem. How is everybody? Everybody's good. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Well, happy, healthy, and peaceful till 120. Each one of you and your family. Amen. Thank you, Malki. Thank you. Thank you. Hashem. Okay, Malky, 
The rabbi is joining us. Thank you, thank you. Shalom, Rebbe, shalom. Uh, shalom, shalom. <coughs> Welcome, Rabotai. We're back here. We're in the parasha of the week. It's parasha to the air. We did an aliyah last night. <clears throat> so we're going to be up to... Yud Bet Pasuk Yud Aleph, twelve eleven. Vehayah Makom Asher Yifchar Hashem Elohechem Bo Lishaken Shem Osham. So this is talking about the place that God will choose to rest His name there. Well, obviously that's talking about the Bet Hamikdash. Shama Taviu Et Kol Asher Anochi Misavetchem. So you'll bring. All the sacrifices I command you in that place, meaning the Beit Hamikdash, Olotechem, the Korban Ola, Sevchechem, as we said, it's Korban Shelami, Maserotechem is referring to the uh, the tithes, as we said, Maser Behema, Utrumat Yetchem, Vechol, Mivchan Nidrechem, vows that you're going to bring. So the rabbis learned from over here when it says the mivhar nidrechem, mivhar means choice. So we learn from it that when a person makes a vow, when he offers to bring korbanot to the Beit HaMikdash, a person should bring from the, the children animals. He shouldn't bring from the, from the uh, you know, from the, uh, uh, the inferior crop or the inferior animal. You should bring from the choice. Now, uh, over here again, we're talking about Jerusalem. Uh, that Jerusalem came, as you remember, after we finished, we had a town called Shiloh. That was the original Mishkan that we had for over 350 years. And then they went to a, another temporary place, which was called Nov. And then after Nov, uh, they went to Giv'on. Uh, so again, in, in those places over there, it was permissible to have these private altars in the person's uh, you know backyard, like we said last night. Those were called Bamot. So long as we had a temporary structure, Shiloh, Giv'on, Nov. So therefore it was permissible to have these private altars. She says, until we got to Jerusalem. Once we got to Jerusalem, the private altars became... Uh, forbidden. Now the Pasuk says, Hashem and we have to, we should rejoice in front of Hashem, as means in the Beit HaMikdash, you, your sons and daughters, your servants, and the Levi in your gates, as we learned in last week's parasha, the tribe of Levi did not have a share amongst the people. They did not have a piece of uh, land. Shamed lecha, now we have a warning. Uh, what's the warning? Shamed lecha is a negative commandment. lest you bring your korban makom So again, like we learned that um, 
you're not allowed to bring a korban wherever you want. Again, there was a time that you were allowed. Once already the Beit HaMikdash was built, so now you cannot bring a korban wherever you want. There was an exception, I must point out, and that was with Eliyahu Navi. Uh, Eliyahu Navi lived the times of the Beit HaMikdash, and he did bring a sacrifice on Mount Carmel. Everybody asked the question, how could he have done that? There's a Beit HaMikdash, the Pasuk over here says, you can't bring any korbanot outside the temple. And they come along and say, Eliyahu Nebi was a prophet. Mm-hmm. And the prophet has a right to temporarily suspend a law from the Torah. He didn't abolish it. He suspended it temporarily. And therefore, uh, that was uh, okay. Except for the place that God chooses. Uh, now, in the amongst the we all know that in the Beit HaMikdash primarily was in the tribe of Binyamin. That's where the Holy of Holies was. So that's the tribe where it says you could bring it only in the place where there's one tribe that has a portion, which is Binyamin now. Above it said Initially, it said from all your tribes. That was a pasuk earlier. So that she said that when David initially bought the uh, the real estate that eventually became the site of the Beit Hamikdash, he bought it from Aravna, Aravna the Yevusi, uh, the Jibu site, and uh, he collected money for this, and he collected the money from all the tribes. So that's what it means that the Beit Hamikdash technically was paid for by all the tribes. That's why it says above but nonetheless the God in the actual spot that he bought was in the Helik of Binyamin. So there's not a controversy between the two Pesukim. If you ask us uh, was there a collective partnership in this property? Yes. Everybody paid for it. Uh, but was there one true owner of this property? Yes again. And that's the, yes Mars. Yes. Yes. So that's the tribe of Binyamin. Uh, Binyamin, that's called Be'echad Shevatecha. Now the Pasuk says, Rak bechol bat nafshecha tizbach ve'achalta basar keberkat Hashem Eloheka Hashem atan lecha bechol sha'arecha. So now we're talking about over here uh, a, a type of meat that the Torah says that you desire. You have a desire to slaughter, you may eat meat, the Pasuk says, as God blesses you. And you can eat this meat in all of your cities. The pure and impure alike. And you'll eat it. And we have to see what that means. You will eat it like, like a, a deer. And I. Uh, Ayal is a, uh, I said. yeah, like a, like a, a ram. Now, the gazelle. Question, yeah, gazelle, exactly. So what are we talking about over here? We, we, I thought we just said you can only bring korbanot in the Beit HaMikdash. And once there's Beit HaMikdash, you can't bring any korbanot in your private altars or private uh, bamot. So what is it saying over here now that you can bring meat, slaughter meat anywhere you want? So that she says... 
What are we talking about over here? This might be talking about regular meat that you desire to eat. There is a law that says if a person just wants to uh, bring, you know, eat meat, uh, just to eat it. So maybe it's coming to say that he doesn't have to bring any parts of that, you know, on the Mizbeah. Well, we know that already. The Pasuk says later on, uh, when God will expand your borders and you're going to want to eat meat. And over there, uh, it, it mentions that uh, you could slaughter meat. So what is this Pasuk talking about? It's not talking about regular meat. So that she says, so this is talking about a korban, an offering that uh, a blemish uh, developed, let's say, in the uh, in the korban. Now, so what do you do with a korban that has a blemish? You got a problem. It was kodesh, it was holy. So, but now it has a blemish, so you can't bring it on the mizbeah. But it still had holiness. So you have to do what's called pidyon. Pidyon means you redeem it. You redeem it with money, and the Kiddushah goes on the money, and the animal goes, you know, to become uh, regular, mundane. The You can eat it. And you can eat it bechol makom. So the Gemara says, Yachod yiftu al mum over. Are you allowed to uh, uh, redeem a temporary blemish? There's certain blemishes that will go away. So the Torah says, rak. If you look at the way the Pasuk begins, rak. So again, rak is a, a, a it's a restriction. It's a again. Let's review the pasuk again. Talking about over here, a korban. It was a legitimate korban. It was holy. It should have been brought on the mizbeach. What happened? It developed a blemish. Torah says, "What do you do with this korban now?" Well, it depends what type of blemish it is. If it's a blemish that's going to go away, so wait, wait till the blemish goes away, and then bring the korban. But if it's a blemish that is not going to go away, that's called a mum kavua, it's a permanent blemish. So then the Torah says, you can't bring it on the Mizbeah. But it is subject now to the law of Pidyon, where you can redeem the animal, and now you'll be able to eat this animal wherever you want, in all of your gates. It's considered regular uh, uh, basar. So there's two types of meat that are permissible. First of all, slaughtering regular meat that was unsanctified. Uh, I want to make a barbecue. Takes a piece of uh, an animal, go slaughters it. No problem. You can do that wherever you want. That's got nothing to do with the mizbeach. The second thing that we're talking about here tonight is a blemished uh, korban. There, it needs to go through a process of pidyon, and then you're allowed to take the uh, animal wherever you want and uh, eat it. Now the pasuk comes and says, and that's why the pasuk says, even if a person is tameh, he's allowed to eat it. What do you have to mention that he's tameh? He's, he's contaminated. Because you might have thought that since it came from a korban, maybe we're going to put restrictions on who's allowed to eat it. So the pasuk comes along and says, no, that this case will be here. Uh, a, uh, a tameh is allowed to eat it. Uh, just like if he'd be eating the meat of deer. And like you said, gazelle. Now, why did he give the example of deer and gazelle? Sevi and ayal. Because these are two animals that you cannot bring sacrifices from. We don't bring any sacrifices, not from a tzivi and not from an ayal. The only reason you'd be eating those types of meat is just because you want to eat meat. 
And therefore, they're saying this korban that became blemished and redeemed becomes like regular meat that is not even suitable for a korban. And therefore, anybody can eat it. Whether the or, and even if the person is a tameh, the person can eat it actually, uh, as she says, they can eat from it even in the same dish. A tameh and a tahor person can eat from this even in the same dish because there's no problem. It's not, it's not a korban. They're not going to have a... Uh, they're not going to have an issue over here. Okay. Beautiful. Now the person comes along and says, another interpretation, why he compares this type of animal to Tzvi and Ayal, as she says, Now normally, this is an important halakha, normally in the olden days when you slaughtered an animal, Let's say you just wanted to eat it uh, for pleasure. You had to give some pieces to the Kohen. It's, uh, it's a big hadush over here. You, you cannot slaughter an animal in the olden days and eat the whole animal. You had to give uh, the zeroa, which is like the uh, the arm, and the lehayayim is the jaw, cheeks, and the kiraz, like the stomach area. You had to give that to the Kohen. Nice part of the animal. Again, you have to remember the Kohanim, how are they going to live? They didn't work. So where are they going to get meat from? So they were getting, it was one of their 24 gifts that they got. Anytime you slaughtered an animal, you got to give them. Over here, the Torah is coming to tell us that in this korban that became blemished and you redeemed it, you're not obligated to give uh, anything to the Kohen. It's like a tzvi and an ayal. And those type of animals, uh, you don't have to give uh, to the Kohen. So that's the um, that's the the point over here. Normally, parts of a slaughtered animal must be given to the Kohen, uh, but not in the case of a blemished blemished offering. It's not necessary, and only on animals that are fit to be brought as a korban, sheep, things like that. But since you cannot bring a deer on the Mizbeah, so therefore you're not obligated to give any part to the Kohen. So this blemished Korban becomes like a deer in the sense that now you can slaughter it and nothing goes to the Kohen. Beautiful. So that's the interpretation that we're learning from Nashi. The only thing you can eat from the animal is obviously the blood. Rakadam no tochet. Obviously, you can't eat the uh, the blood. Even though we just said that you're not sprinkling this blood on the Mizbeah, because it's a sacrifice, obviously, uh, you can't bring it. Just because you can't bring it on the Mizbeah doesn't mean you can eat it. So blood is forbidden. What do you do with it? Just throw it on the ground like water. Uh, what does it come along and say? That you do not need to even cover it. That's the law. We know that, uh, uh, let's say, an animal does not need the covering. Uh, the, the, the regular law is that, uh, uh, let's say, you slaughter a chicken or a bird, things like that. So we know that we have to uh, cover the blood. There's a mitzvah called the kisui hadam. But over here, it's coming to uh, tell us that, that any korban animal that was not fit 
for the mizbeach. You slaughter it. You do not have to cover its uh, cover its blood. That's the that's the law. Right. So you can't eat the blood, which is obvious, but you don't have to uh, cover the uh, you don't have to cover the blood. Allah just let the blood uh, spill on the ground. Uh, again, regarding the blood of animals, of birds, uh, that that you do shahitatu, you must cover it with earth. So you might have thought if we're comparing oh, one second over here. Second, somebody's calling. So you might have thought that um, the comparison that we're comparing these blemished animals with these wild animals, uh, you might have thought that you need to cover them because the law is like a, a goat. You must cover. Not a goat, but I said a deer. A deer you must cover. So you might have thought that you need to cover these animals as well. You don't. The blood of the korban that was blemished stays on the... Um, Stays on the ground. Another interpretation is hareu kamay. Oh, the blood you can use like water. Lachshid it tazeraim. Now, let's. This is a, a law that needs to be studied. The law is that if you have, let's say, a fruit, the fruit cannot become contaminated if it was not prepared to become contaminated. How does something become prepared? It has to become wet. For example, let's say water fell on it. So now once water fell on it willingly, so now the law is that fruit can become susceptible to tum'ah. The Hadush over is blood also is one of the seven liquids that can prepare a uh, fruit or seeds to become susceptible. So that's what the Torah is telling us. That blood of, a, of an animal is like mayim in the sense that it is one of the uh, items that can prepare uh, something to receive tum'ah. Uh, finally, the pasu comes along and says, You're not allowed to eat in your, um, in your gates, which literally means, the different uh, uh, grains, the ma'asir, we're talking about, the tithes, from your wheat, from your wine, the oil, like we said, these things can only be eaten, this is referring to uh, the kohanim, when they eat the uh, special items that they're given. Tirumat Yadecha is referring to Bekurim, uh, some of these things are referring to uh, the other um, uh, entitlements that the Kohen gets, they can only eat it in uh, in Yerushalayim. That's the place where the Beit HaMikdash. Now, there's a beautiful Rashi here in the name of the Yerushua bin Korcha. The Yerushua bin Korcha says, uh, when it says in the Pasuk, Lotuchal. Lotuchal means uh, literally uh, you're not able to eat these things in outside of Jerusalem. So he says, You are able. But you're not permitted. So when it says, doesn't mean that you're not able. It means you're forbidden. 
כיוצא בו, אצל זה פסוק, ואת היבוסי יושבי ירושלים. It calls the Yevusi people, they were the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It says, Lo yachlu b'nei Yehuda l'horisham. The children of Yehuda were unable to drive them out. So it says, Yecholim ayu, they were able. Ela she'enam l'sha'im, but they weren't permitted. Because Abraham Abinu made a treaty and a covenant with the Yevusi people. If you remember, when he bought the Me'arat HaMachpelah, he bought it from... Uh, um, uh, from Ephron, exactly. Now, Ephron wasn't a Yevusi, that she says he was a Chiti. Uh, however, Al-Shem Ma'ir Shishmam Yevus, but uh, the city was named Yevus. But it really wasn't from the Yevusim, it was from Chiti people. So even though it was called Yevus, it was really Chiti, and Abraham made a contract with Chiti that we're not going to fight with them. So therefore, the Pasuk says they couldn't conquer it. They could have, as she says. It's just that they weren't permitted. So when it says you, you, you are unable, it doesn't mean you're unable. It means you're not allowed. I'm just giving you an example of that. And that's what it says in Perkeh. Um, so that's, uh, again, when he bought the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, Lo Yibusim Ayu, Elachitim Ayu, Ela, uh, the, the Pasuk refers to them as Yibusim, Hashem Ma'ir, Sheshmo Yibus, because of the city whose name was uh, Yibus. But uh, that was really, um, the Chitim occupied that city of Yibus, which eventually became Jerusalem. So that's a, that's a history of the city of Jerusalem, by the way. It's Jerusalem is called Jerusalem, but it was called Yibus, and Yibus was occupied by Chiti, and the Jews were under a uh, contract with with Chiti when Avraham bought the Maran Machpelah from from Chiti, not to not to fight. So again, when 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 you read this pasuk over here, she's telling you a big chadush. Lot you're unable to eat these things. Doesn't mean you're unable because you have a stomach ache. You're unable, you're unable because you're not allowed. That's that's what the pasuk means. And then she gives an example, like it says, you're unable to conquer Jerusalem. Not that you're unable, even if we have the biggest army. Unable means you're not allowed because of external reasons. We're not, we're not permitted. That's the, uh, that's the example uh, that, that she says. And finally, the Pasuk writes, uh, like we said, you can only eat these things in front of God. And the Levi, that's in your midst. And as she says regarding the Levi, uh, we have to give the, uh, the portion that the Torah awards to the Levi. Actually, the Levi gets 10% of the, um, of the crop, called Maaser Rishon. That's the law. Wow. You should give the Levi something. And let, let's, say, let's say there's no portion to give him. Let's say you don't have any tithes. So that she said you should even invite him over to eat from your korban. That's amazing. Over there. That means I would have thought if you don't have anything to give him, so that's it, he doesn't get anything. That she says, Invite him to take uh, part of, uh, of your korban, even though it's really not his, not his item. So the pasuk is telling us over here, I guess the pasuk is saying, they should eat with you. 
Because the Basul said, Ki'im lefnei Hashem elohechat ochelenu, with the Levi. And if you don't have what to give the Levi, invite him even to enjoy pieces that, or portions that he might not, uh, he might not normally get. For example, let's say in the seventh year of Shemitah, you're not plowing, but there's no ma'asir. So therefore the Levi is going to get, uh, you know, he's going to get gypped in the seventh year. So that year, invite him over for uh, meat of a korban, just so he'll have, uh, he'll have what to eat. Now, uh, that's the, uh, that's one more, one more line. Again, don't let the Levi, it's a warning, um, not to leave the Levi out. But that's only when you're living in Israel, that she said. But once we go into exile, we're not obligated uh, to take care of the Levi more than we are to any other poor man. Then the Levi becomes like a regular, you know, Jewish guy that's poor. So you got to take care of whatever those laws are. But you don't got to give them, uh, go out of your way to give them, you know, extra. And then it's just said, Levi has stats. Once you go into Galut, he's like everybody else. Of course, we have to take care of the poor people, but he's on equal footing uh, as all the other uh, Ani. Okay, technical stuff, but good stuff. And don't take the, don't take for granted, Abotai. Uh, these Pesukim are hard Pesukim. And we're learning it through the eyes of Rashi. And, uh, you know, we're definitely learning the uh, the ideas that are that are coming to be said. A lot of a lot of uh, hadushim that were said here tonight. Okay, we'll stop over here. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Good luck, Rabbi. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, Rabbi. Bye, bye. Yes. Good night, Rabbi. Thank you for the question. Amachaya salam bat samcha. And uh, we are Yudbet Chaf, so 1220. Uh, so the Pasuk, actually, we did 20 last night. So we did that. We're going to start. Let's just start from the right spot over here. Okay, let's start from Perek Yudbet Pasuchaftet. Ki yachrit Hashem elavechet agoyim asher atab b'ashama lareshet otam epanecha. So we're talking about over here where the Jewish people are going to go into Eretz Israel, and God is promising that He's going to cut down the nations, meaning the goyim that are inhabiting Eretz Israel. So we'll inherit them, we'll take possession. We and we're going to settle in their lands. So God warns, beware. Now pentenakesh means lest you be distracted. That's the way that she explains. He quotes Unkelus. That you should not get uh, entrapped by the Goyim. And uh, the concern over here is after their ways. You might get confused and you're going to want to follow their ways. So Torah warns us not to be drawn after the Gentile of the land. 
After you're going to see that they're going to be destroyed, uh, you have to pay pay note. You have to make a reckoning why destroyed. And you have to come to the conclusion because they were degenerate. They had bad actions and therefore God destroyed them and then she says, don't think it can't happen to you. That if God forbid B'nai Sale degenerate and uh, they fall into bad ways, so the same thing can happen. Do not seek out their gods. They more and say, I'll do the same thing as the Goim did. So that she says, which means God did not punish uh, for the idolatry that the Goim did. God said that you're not allowed to sacrifice the Abu Dazara, Kitur, or you're not allowed to offer sacrifices. Nisuch, you cannot pour liquid in front of them. You cannot bow, like it says in the Pasuk. So the Pasuk is coming to tell you over here something else. Let's say there's a different type of Zara that you don't serve it by pouring wine in front of it or bowing it in front of it or bringing a korban. That's a conventional Zara. Let's say the Zara has a different way of uh, committing it. Kegon, that she gives the classic, uh, as we know, there was Abu Dazara called Fe'or. And the Fe'or, the way it was worshipped, they were definitely. There was another type of Abu Dazara. You throw a rock uh, at the Abu Dazara. That's the way they worked. They, they served it. They had all rocks, and you throw a rock against it, like a, uh, like a bowling alley. Zuhi Abu So the Torah says, if that's the way it's served, haya. Even though it's to us, you'd say, what do you mean? I'm defecating on the Abu Dazara. It doesn't matter. If that's the way they serve it, it's going to be forbidden. So we have a rule of it, as she tells us. When it comes to the conventional ways of serving, meaning, uh, pouring liquid in front of the Abu Dazara, slaughtering an animal, setting a fire in front of the Abu Dazara, bowing in front of the Abu Dazara, that's guilty on any Abu Dazara across the board. Those are automatic hayab. And then add to those is the other methods that are not included in the four that we just said. They're going to be hayab on an uh, individual basis based on how that Abu Dazara is worshipped. Lo wants. Do not do such a thing to God. All these abominable things that God hates. They've done to their gods. She says that there was an Abu Dazara that they would 
the mothers and the fathers that would actually burn their own children to the Abu Dazara. Uh, Rabbi Akiva said, Anida iti nukhri, I saw a goy, <coughs> who tied his father up in front of his dog, which he worshipped as a god. Wow. So, the dog ate the father. So that means that even, even the, the kids sacrificed their parents to Abu Dazara. The guy worshipped his dog. And he took his father, he tied him up, and he threw him to the dog. So therefore, these are obviously uh, abominable, abominable things. Again, the what I commanded you to do, which is the mitzvot, uh, the positive and the negative. So the Torah tells us you cannot add and you cannot subtract. We learned this last week. That includes you cannot make five sections in the tepilin. You cannot take five species in the lulav. And as she adds, you cannot add an extra blessing in Birkat Kohanim. There's only three blessings. Ya'ed, and Yisa. You can't add a fourth blessing. Now we talk about that what's going to happen amongst the people in the future. There's going to be a prophet. Uh, we're going to see it's going to be a false prophet. Or a, a dreamer. Look how Torah predicted. These guys are going to come with their dreams, their prophecies. Not only that, they'll give you a, a sign. You know, you'll see uh, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. It's going to snow in the middle of the summer. A different sign that he's going to give. One more fit, even a, a wondrous thing on earth. And guess what? going to come true. And now he's going to say, So you see, I'm, I'm validated. Now let's go worship Abu Dazara. So do not listen to the uh, to the prophet. To the dreamer. It's a test. It's testing you to know do you really love God and you're loyal with all your heart and soul. So she comes along and says, well, on the Pasuk, so you should go after God. And you should fear Him. Keep His mitzvot. That's the Kotorat Moshe. Upkorot Tishma'u. Listen to his voice, meaning the voice of the prophets. The uh, Otota Avodu, meaning serve him in his Bet Mikdash. Ubotid Bakun. And you shall attach yourself to God's ways. Now, how do you attach yourself to God's ways? So that she gives a few practical examples. Do acts of kindness. Kevod Metim. Bury the dead. Bakir Khodim. Visit the sick. So if you want to be divine or godly, you do things that God Himself involves Himself in. God buried 
the tzaddikim. God buried Moshe. So you see, God does this mitzvah. So when you're involved in this mitzvah, you're doing something that's cleaving to his ways. God visits the sick. Visit Abraham Abinu after the Bilah. So therefore, Bikur Cholim, etc. Now the Pesach says, what, what do you do with this false prophet that tried to uh, veer the people off to worship Abu Dazarah? So he's going to be put to death. Because he spoke fabrication against God. The one that took care of the the house of slaves. So he tried to uh, stray you from the path. And then you will eradicate the bad in your midst. And then she says, even if God did nothing else for us, by, by just by taking us out of Mitzrayim, that means besides all the other things Hashem did, but it's enough, the fact that he took you out of Mitzrayim, that you have to show your loyalty and cannot get caught up with Abu Dazara. Let's say you're going to have a case of incitement. And they're going to try to provoke you to worship and do things that are against God. Your brother, your brother from your father, or your brother from your mother, doesn't matter. Or from your, your daughter, or if it's a, your spouse. Any of these, uh, any of these people, or your friend, uh, that's a friend, she says, that's your father, relative like your father, which means all these are close relatives that are normally dear to you. And what do they come and tell you? They tell you, they come and tell you in private. And normally these people, they don't say things in public because they're trying to sway you away from God. So the Torah says, what are they going to tell you? So they become missionaries, basically. And they come and tell you, you know, privately, let's go to Abu Dazara. So now, they start to tell you, yeah, it's a disgrace. Right. Which means, even the goyim are loyal to the tradition that they follow what their fathers did. That she says, don't don't be worse than the goyim. They follow their their tradition, even though it's nonsense. But that's what their father did. That's what their grandfather did. And this guy is coming along to try to take you away from the traditions of your fathers. It's even worse than the goyim. From the nations of the world, the gods of the world, that's just even with the him that are surrounding them. Those that are close, that are near to you and far. So that she says over here, the Pasuk means to say the following From the nature of the near ones, near gods, 
just like there's no substance in the ones that are close, the ones that are close, you know what they are, they're nothing. So they don't, don't, don't think the ones that are far anything better. They're all the same. It's all shaken. Now, what does that mean? From the one end of the earth to the other, he's going to try to get you to worship these, the celestial bodies. As she says, the sun, the moon, the hosts in the heaven, stars. Now, why are they called because they move from one end of the horizon to the next. So they move around. So what is your reaction to, to, to such a guy? Which means you shall not listen. She says, you should not want him. You should not have a desire to listen to him. Normally, this is Kamocha. This guy you're allowed to hate. But this guy is called a uh, a mesit umediah. He's trying to, you know, sway you away and talk to you, missionary. Obviously, do not listen to him. Even though he's going to plead for his life, please forgive me. That's it. There's one person in the train not to have mercy for. It's this guy. Even if he starts pleading and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. No. You're not allowed to have pity on him, which means if you see him drowning, let him drown. If you see him falling into a pit, you don't bring him out. Even though normally you have to have mercy. No. Do not turn his case in his favor, let's say in court. Do not be an advocate, don't become his lawyer. If you know something uh, which can lead to his conviction, and or a cannot keep quiet. Basically, this guy loses all benefit of the doubt, all benefits five different isurim of having mercy on the mesit. So what do you do with the guy? again. Gotta kill him. As she says, even if let's say he leaves the court acquitted, bring him back and convict him. Comes out guilty, don't bring him back in order to turn it, acquit him. Normally, they delay the case. When somebody's uh, guilty, they delay it just in case they made a mistake. On the Mesit, there's no delay. If they acquit him, they go back. And if they make him guilty, they kill him on the spot. There's no, no benefits. The worst guy in the Torah. He'll stone him to death. Because he tried to uh, make you stray from Hashem. Everybody will see and get fear from this. So one of the things is that we do these deaths in a public manner. So it's a public spectacle, which is the greatest deterrent. Anybody sees that they're going to get killed like this, so they'll think uh, a lot of times before they're going to start to commit uh, the same uh, the same crime. So tonight, basically, we spent a lot of time learning about 
the law of the mesit umediyah, the one that is the missionary that tries to convince even a family member to go against God. And we see the Torah has zero tolerance for this guy. I mean, even, even um, perks or amenities that other Rishayim get, this guy loses all of it. No benefit of the doubt, no, uh, no second chance, no apology, no nothing. And the Torah comes along and says you got to eradicate him. So from, if we can end up on a good note, if that's how negative the Torah feels about missionaries that try to bring people away from God, could you imagine how great Hashem feels about people that are going around bringing people towards God? How much benefit of the doubt we have to give them, how much mercy we have to give them, how much courtesy we have to give them, and how much you know, advantage we have to give them. It's, it's, it's the opposite side of the uh, spectrum. And therefore, you know, if somebody's mesit to the bad, so we have to look at mesit to the good. You're turning a person around from his bad way to the good way. How much the Torah uh, appreciation and gives them all the uh, you know, gives them all the benefits. Okay, Rabotai, you heard it here first. It's the Torah Shlema Chayas Sarabat Simcha. So now we're uh, we're in Parashat Re'eh, and we're learning for the Torah Shlema Chayas Sarab. Batsimcha. And uh, we are up to 1313, 13, chapter 13, Pasuk 13. <clears throat> okay. So, you have a city. It's a city that God gave you, Lasheveshem. So, it's all cities, Rashi says. Except for Jerusalem. Rashi says, Jerusalem was not given for dwelling. So it's not divided amongst the tribes, Jerusalem. <clears throat> so we're talking about cities in Israel uh, except Jerusalem. Now what happens? So there's a... Um, <clears throat> you hear people saying, and what are they saying? Yatsu anashim bene biliyal mikibeka. That there's uh, some uh, people that are biliyal. Biliyal are bad people, uh, lawlessness people, people that are sinful. And they cause the people of their city to go astray. Why? What are they doing? Lemor. They're telling the people, she says, specifically the men, uh, So let us go and worship other gods. Now tonight we're learning about the law of Iranidahat. So this is a city where the inhabitants are being led astray to worship Abu Dazarah. And there's rules over here that the ones that are leading the city astray have to come from the city itself. She says, There has to be men that lead it astray, like the Pasuk says. And it has to be set astray from its own inhabitants. So, what does the Pasuk say? 
ודרשתה וחקרתה ושאלתה היטב, you make an investigation, and as she says, uh, from here we learn that whenever you make an investigation with witnesses, you have to go through seven different types of investigations, uh, because the Pasuk says, Vidarashta, Vahakarta, Vishaalta, Eteb, Vineemet, Nachon. So there's different, different languages over here that teach us that the investigations are done with seven different questions. <coughs> uh, we have the word Dirisha, Hakira, Eteb. And then we have Darishu Hashopeti Metev. Another place that says Darashta Hetev. So we have uh, again seven different ways we interrogate the witnesses. Okay, now what? They after the investigation, Vehine Emet Nachon Adavar. Emet, it was came out to be unfortunately true. Neesta had to evazot bekebekadis. Abomination was done in your midst, which means now you have a city that the majority of its inhabitants are worshiping Abu Dazara. They were said they were led astray from men that came from the city itself. So the Torah says, <clears throat> So the Torah says you have to, to smite them, all the people of the city. You have to put them to death. So that's, um, it says, what type of death? Death by sword. Yep. And she says, if you can't put him to death by sword, so then choose a different death. Even the animals. They have to let everything go to waste, including the animals. Then you take all the spoils of that city, bring it to the center square, the sarafta ba'ish, and then you have to set the city ablaze, and all these spoils. Kalil Hashem, totally. Hashem, and it should remain uh, uh, just an eternal heap. Lot baneot. You're not allowed to rebuild it. And you're not allowed to keep anything from the, from the spoils. And so God will uh, he'll turn back from his anger. <clears throat> if you get angry at the people of the city and kill them, so God will return from his anger. Now the Pasuk says, Venatan or Venatan Hamim, and God will give you mercy, Virihamcha, and have mercy on you, Virbecha, and you will multiply, Kashin is Bala Botecha. And um, <clears throat> she says that as long as there's Abu Dazan in the world, God's burning wrath is in the world. And the Mefarshim say over here that the reason why God will give you mercy if you do this is because you need mercy. Because when a person gets involved in killing, the killing causes a person to get a nature of cruelness. So therefore, you're doing the mitzvah, but now you end up killing. 
and now you become a cruel person. So God's going to offset that cruelty by putting an extra measure of mercy into you. So that's a guarantee that there'll be no negative consequence from fulfilling the mitzvah. Now, once it has an extra measure of mercy, so then God will have mercy on the person because God has mercy on those that have mercy on others. So therefore, it's a guarantee that there'll be no negative uh, effect by this um, by this mitzvah. So this again this is the law of the irani dahat. Fine. Now we get to the next verse. We are considered the children of Hashem. And therefore, What does that mean? You should not cut yourselves. What is this referring to? Uh, in the olden days, when God forbid somebody would die, there was a custom of the green, they would scratch their flesh. And uh, she says, the Emoraim used to do this. And therefore, that she says, um, <clears throat> you're not allowed to do this because you are the children of God. And therefore, you're not allowed to mutilate your body. You are fit to be handsome. Cut up and bald as we're going to see now. So therefore, God says, you're God's chosen people. You're supposed to look presentable. So you're not making uh, lacerations all over your body and cutting your hair and stuff like that. So uh, they would make, let's say, a cut next to their forehead. So they would make their entire head uh, they basically make the head bald as a sign of mourning. So you're not allowed to do that. Why? Because you're a holy nation. And the uh, Rashi says, the Kiddushah that we have is inherit uh, from our fathers. Number two, so not only do we have inherent Kiddushah from our fathers, but God chose us. To be a chosen nation. So that's that. Um, I remember once when uh, one of my great aunts had passed away and she had a maid for, I don't know, 30, 40 years and she came to the uh, funeral and she was scratching her face and putting scratches all over her face and uh, then we understood that this, you see this, the Greens still have this still have this practice over here. <clears throat> Uh, straight up we're not allowed to eat anything that's abominable what does that mean? anything that God says is abominable you can't eat so that gives uh, examples let's say we have a firstborn animal so the firstborn animal uh, is a Kodesh you have to give it uh, to the Kohen so let's say you have the firstborn animal and intentionally you made a blemish. As she says in the ear. You blemish the, the ear of it. In order that will allow you to slaughter it outside the Beit HaMikdash area and to eat it. So God said, you're not allowed to do that. It says, you're not allowed to blemish a bichor. So that's another example. 
Ubali met kind of comes to tell us another example. Shelo yishchat v'yochal al You made a blemish in that animal, did not slaughter it and eat it based on that blemish. Bishel basar b'halab, or let's say one cooked meat and milk. That's also forbidden. Here we learn that you're not allowed to eat either basar uh, b'halab as well. Milk and meat, and for that matter, anything that's not uh, kosher, Torah saying you cannot eat. Now the pasuk says, This is the animals that you may eat. Shor, the ox, the seh, the sheep, kevasim, the goats, the seizim. That's again, shor, shor is the ox, as we said, the sheep and the goat. And then you have the ayal, the ayal is the heart, H-A-R-T. Svi. Go ahead. Go is the deer. Yahmur. Yahmur is the Yahmur. And the Akko is the Akko. Vidishon is all different types of animals. Uto, Vazamir. Let's see the she over here. These are all animals that are permissible to eat. Akko, <clears throat> as um, she says, it's called the Ya'ala, which is uh, like a Ya'el or an Ibex. Ut'o, that she calls it a Turbila. That is an ox of the forest. Balayar. Okay, these are different kosher animals. The Chol Behema, Mafreset Parsa, so as long as it has uh, split hooks, the Shosa'at Shesa. And it's uh, the, the hooves are split, and it has uh, choose its cud. So those are the the two um, the two uh, kosher signs for an animal. That she says, parsa uh, siduka. So the uh, the hooves are like we said, split. It's divided with two hoods. So if you have, we have a picture over here. Uh, you can see the picture. We have over here an animal that's not split. And then you have over here split, which is correct. And then you have the camel, which is a part split. We Doesn't can't see the way. picture. Sorry. Hold it a little higher, please. Oh, boy. Let's see if I could find this. Uh, I'm not so good at the photography. Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah. Good. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Let me see. So let's look at it again. One second. You have over here the first picture to the left. It's not split at all, which is not kosher. And then you have the second one is the sheep, which is a full split, which is perfect. And then you have the part, which is the camel. 
which is not uh, which is not kosher. Now let's continue the next one. Ach tochenu. You cannot eat the following animals. Mema'alegera. There's certain animals that chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves. Umaflisea parsash chisua. Etagamal, you have the camel, which you cannot eat. Veta'nebir is the rabbit. Etashafan is the hyrax. Now these, ma'alegera, they chew their cud. Ufarsado hefrisu, but they don't have split hooves. And therefore, tim'im him lachem. Now, regarding the, the pig, it has a split hook, but it does not chew its cut. So these animals have one out of the two. You cannot eat from the meat. Now, the Quran is telling you over here that, um, that she says, Oh, the she says, interesting. <clears throat> when it said in the Pasuk, uh, it, or when it said in the kosher animals, it said, <clears throat> so literally the word means in the animal. So the rabbis teach us a lesson over here that whatever you find in the animal, you can eat, which means, let's say, you slaughtered the animal, and now you have a fetus that comes out of the animal. So it's kosher. You don't even have to slaughter because you slaughtered the mother. So the fetus of the animal is considered like an organ of the animal. So that's that's the closest you're going to be able to eat like uh, Ebedim in a hide. You slaughter the mother and the baby comes out, the fetus. And you don't have to slaughter. Just put it on the barbecue and uh, that's it. Yeah, you have... Uh, you have meat without shechita. Well, I, I, I take that back. You did shechita. You did shechita on the mother. The chadush of the shechita, the mother covers the... And they learned that from the word babbehema, which is inside the animal. Babbehema. The next rashi that she says, hashesu'ah biryahi. Oh, interesting. When the pasuk says over here, etze lo tochedu v'ma'alik of hashesu'ah. He says the shesua is a creature. Sheesh la gabim. It has two backs. You ever see a creature with two backs? Ushte shedraot and two backbones. Amru rabotenu lama nishnu. Why were the laws of kosher and non-kosher uh, species repeated? Because we learned about this already in Vayikra. Uh, they repeated it in order to tell us about this animal over here called the Shesua'ah. And regarding the birds, they were repeated to tell us another one called the Ra'a, which we're going to read about in this week's parasha. Wow. So it's adding, adding some animals. So they have the Shesua'ah that was not mentioned before, and you have the uh, Ra'a. Fine. So that's what the reason why it's repeated over here. So the law is that uh, we know that when the Jewish people went up to Jerusalem on the holidays, they have to be pure. 
have to go to the Beit HaMikdash. So everybody would go to the Mikveh, and they would purify themselves before they went up to the Negev. So the law is that during the Negev, they have to be careful not to touch these non-kosher animals, their carcasses, because it'll render them impure. Now, during the year, there's no problem to become impure. You become impure, so that's it. You become impure, big deal. But when you go to Jerusalem, to the Beit HaMikdash, on the holidays, you've got to be pure. So the Torah has to tell us, be careful. If you touch these animals after they die, it's going to render yourself impure. So that she says, uh, do you think it's forbidden to become impure all year long? Tamud Omar, emor la kohanim. Umat tumatamet hamura kohanim musarim. Right. Only kohanim are obligated really to not to become tamet. But not, not, not Israel. So Israel are allowed to become tamet oil. That's what God to be a funeral. Uh, a Jewish Israel can walk into a funeral. And therefore a Jewish guy, if he can walk into a funeral, which is the worst type of tumah, certainly he can lift the carcass of a non-kosher animal. But Kuanin would not be allowed. <clears throat> um, only, the only time that Israel really have to be careful about this law oh. is, we, is during the holidays. When they go to Jerusalem, like we learned, so therefore you have to be tower. Now let's get, which is by the way, not only animals not kosher, but they do to ah, on the people that come in contact with it. Having you and then over. Now we learn about the kosher uh, fish. So snapir bekaskeset is uh, fins and scales. Snapir fins, kaskeset is the Scales. That's it. Two signs for fish. The cholashir in no snapir bekaskesin. If it doesn't have fins and scales, no tochenu tamei hulachim. So it's going to be tamei. Now we get this point: the birds. Kol sipor tehorat tochen. Okay. If the bird is kosher bird, eat it. You have no problem. That she says, this is uh, coming to state that the Mishulachat, there's a certain bird that during the process we learned of a leper, somebody had leprosy, they take a bird and they send it away. So if you have that bird, that bird's kosher to eat. That's the, including that bird. Now, you don't think that that bird is Kodesh and you have to do, you know, let it roam. The bird of the Mitzurah you can eat. Okay. But the following uh, birds you should not eat. Even if you slaughter it. It's forbidden. Okay, now let's see if we can get these names here. Hanesher. You know what a nesher is? <coughs> Eagle. That's right. Vapiris. Where are you, okay. Just got to get the page. Wait. Take your time. Don't wait. Continue. Oh, t -t thank you very much. Vapiris, Vaosnia. Okay, these are names of birds. We're still waiting for the uh, for the actual species of them. The Hara'a, that's the new one that we learned today. 
Rashi says, Hira'ah, uh, Hi'ayah, Hidaya. There's three names. <coughs> it's called a Ra'a, an Ayah, and a Daya. <coughs> All right? Why we call this bird Ra'a, which means like to see. So it says, It has exceedingly good vision. Why is it have to come and tell me all the names of it? Don't eat the ra'a, the daya, the aya. Why are you giving me so much details about it? Shelo liten petchon pe, the ba'adin lachlok. Shelo ya ausra kore ota ra'a. Because the guy was, well, I don't call it a ra'a, I call it a daya. And the say, I can eat it. No, daya is also a suit. And the other guy no, no, I call it the aya. So we, we're putting it. Uh, we're putting all the names in there and the nicknames to come and teach us that you can't eat it. Okay. Let's see the next one. So again, in this pasuk, Ra'a, Aya, Daya is all the same item, just different names. They'd call Orev. Okay, Orev is the um, raven. Anybody did uh, today's daf? Today's daf had the raven in it. Today's daf, it said that the um, if a person doesn't support his children, you're allowed to embarrass him in public. You know, you're allowed to come along and say, this guy over here, he's worse than a raven. Because even the raven has mercy and feeds its children. And this guy is even worse than a raven. The Gebarah asks, but we know that the children of the raven starve. Like we say in the prayers every day, the children of the raven cry out to God, give us food. So what does it mean? So the Gebarah says it depends. That depends if it's a black raven or a white raven. When the raven is born, the children are white and the mother is black. So the mother doesn't think that it's her child because she says she's a uh, black. How did you create, you know, uh, a white, uh, white? She thinks it came from somewhere else. So she abandons the child. So therefore the raven who's white cries out to God and God makes a miracle. And uh, from the excrement of the raven, worms come out of it. And the worms crawl up its mouth and he gets to eat it. Okay? Now everybody go have dessert. So the point is that you have over here a, uh, a, a Gemara that says, but if the mother raven is black and the kids are black, the mother feeds it. So therefore the Gemara tells the deadbeat father, you're worse than a raven. Even a raven feeds its own kids. And you don't, you don't feed your own kids. You don't support your, uh, you don't support your children. Anyway, but you're not allowed to eat the raven. It's not a, uh, it's not a kosher bird. Okay, it's another type of uh, animal, a bird. Tahmas. Tahmas. Not hummus. Tahmas. Hummus is okay. It's another type of bird. Vetanets. Leminehu. Uh, etakos, vetayanshuf, 
ואת התנשמת. So, תנשמת is another type of... והכאת, ואת הרחמה, ואת הרחמה, ואת השלח. Oh, שלח, we know what it is. שלח is that bird that um, it takes fish out of the water. What do they call that? A pelican? What are those fish that come in and they grab the, the birds? That, what do you call it? Dork. A dork? A seagull. A seagull. A seagull, maybe. Maybe a seagull. <laughs> That's the seagull, the seagull, the stork for the babies. What is it? She said stork. Stork brings the babies. That's scary. Oh, no, maybe it's a water raven. They're calling it. Okay, water raven. Then you have over here, just to get the names over here. Now, this is a famous one, the Hasidah. Hasidah. That's a nice name for a bird, Hasidah. It says because... They call her Hasidah because she does chesed to all her friends. She gets food for her friends. So the Gemara says, well, if she does chesed, why is she, why is she a not kosher bird? It's because she only does chesed to friends. Do chesed to somebody that's not her friend. To be kosher, you got to do chesed to everybody. The stork. What is that? The stork, the stork bird is the Hasidah. The duchifat is uh, a duchifat called the wild rooster. Okay? And then you have over here, Atalef. Atalef might be a, a owl. Now, I don't see over here turkey. So that must mean that turkey is kosher. Because it's not on the list. The law is only the ones that are on the list are the ones that are not kosher. And uh, Turkey is not on the list. And therefore, as long as we have a tradition, we're able to eat it. Uh, then we have Then you have the for these flying, creeping creatures. Uh, that's forbidden. Back to the oftahor. So we, we just said that already, but it's coming to tell you that uh, you're allowed to eat the kosher birds, as we said. Now, if you have a kosher animal that wasn't slaughtered properly, so you're not allowed to eat it. What do you do with non-kosher meat that was slaughtered improperly? You give it to the stranger in your, uh, in your city. Goy. The law is it's not forbidden to have benefit from it. You can sell it to the goy. Or give it to the goy. You can sell it to him, give it to him as a gift. You're holy. Finally, it says, that we're not allowed to cook milk and meat. So there's a hadush over here. Not only can't you eat milk and meat, you cannot even cook milk and meat. There was one of the guys in our shul, he was going to chef school. He become a chef. And uh, they made him, you, know, you, have to, you have to do a test. So you have to cook. And the ingredients were milk and meat. And he wasn't able to take the test. Because she, they, he said, I can't eat it. They said, no problem, you don't have to eat it. You have to cook it. I'm not allowed to cook it either. You're not allowed to cook milk and meat. Even if you're planning on throwing it in the garbage. 
You cannot cook milk and meat, and you cannot eat milk and meat, and you cannot benefit from milk and meat. So milk and meat is the worst of all the... Uh... And then as she says, and a very, very great lesson, we'll end with this, you're a holy nation. And therefore, even things that are permissible, just because it's permissible doesn't mean you should eat it. But today, you know, everything is kosher. So a person uh, become, become a glutton with kosher supervision. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a glutton under rabbinical supervision. He's eating Beit Yosef meat all day long, Bishul Yisrael, and he has, uh, you know, special wine that has the best hechshed. So he drinks and guzzles and, uh, you know, uh, fresses. And, uh, you know, you can't write him a summons because everything's kosher. So the Pasuk says, Ke'am Kadosh you're a holy nation. And therefore, Kadesh Atzmecha B'mutah. That just because it's permissible does not necessarily mean it's okay. You still should try to curb your appetite and minimize your, uh, you know, mi- minimize your indulgence in the, uh, in the pleasures of uh, the culinary, culin- kosher culinary pleasures of life. Okay, beautiful. Stop over here. These are, oh, we went over time a little. These are the Fuash Shalema, Chaya Salam Bat And we are, we are in the Parasha. We finished with the kosher birds last night. That was a lot of fun. And now we're going to go to Perek Yudalid, and we're getting to Pasuk Chaf Bet. Asir ta asir et ketuvu azar echa hayoseh sadeh shana shana. The Torah is telling us that we have to take maaser. <clears throat> maaser is the tides. Uh, 10% from all of the crop that grows on a yearly basis. Now, what do you do with that ma'asir? That ma'asir you have to eat in Jerusalem. It's called ma'asir sheni. Uh, so it's got to be taken to Jerusalem uh, and eaten. In front of God. In the place that he cho- chose, chooses. Where he puts his resting, his his his, uh, his, his shekhinah there, his presence. You take maaser on grain. Kiroshecha is wine. Yisarech has oil. Korot becharecha, also on cattle. Sonecha leman tilmad liirat Hashem elohecha kol hayamim. When you go to Jerusalem, so it teaches you to get yirat shemaim. You're in that holy city, and it will bring you. The fear of God. So that she says again, we're talking about Maaser Sheni. Uh, we learned this as a couple of times. There's Maaser Dishon that's given to the Levi. And then you have Maaser Sheni that the owners take up to Jerusalem. And um, that's besides we have to give to the Kohen 2%, which is called Teluma. And besides what the Kohen has to give to the Levi, which was, this was a different discussion. This discussion over here is specifically. Uh, um, what else do we have to see from this? The question that she has over here in the Pasuk right before Maaser Shini, it talked about milk and meat. We learned that last time. So that she asks, what's the connection between uh, taking the tithes 
and milk and meat. What, what, why is the Torah juxtaposed those, these two pesukim uh, next to each other? So that she says, What's the, what's the connection? So he says, God says to the Jewish people, um, so the God says, don't cause me to cook the tender young of the crop while they are still in their mother's insides. What does it mean? If you're not going to take the, the tithes like you're supposed to properly, when the new crop is about to ripen, I will bring a easterly wind, and it's going to cause blight. Blight means it's going to destroy the uh, the crops. So therefore, the pasuk is saying, uh, it's in, in this sense, of it means it's cooking the tender crop. If you don't want the crop to get sun... Uh, you know, sun dried and sun burnt. Make sure you give the ma'asrit, uh, the ma'asrot. That's the connection between the um, between the two pesukim. So he says over here. He says over here. Beautiful. Now the pasuk comes along and says, um, let's say you have a lot of fruit and you can't take them all to Jerusalem. It's too much fruit. Even 10%, it's too much. So the pasuk says, you can't carry it. It's too far and too heavy. Because you have a blessing. Therefore, what are you going to do in such a case? So I'm explaining what you do over here. You do what's called a pidyon. You take the uh, value of the maaser and you put it on money. So let's say you have $1,000 of uh, maaser sheni. You put the value on money and you take the money up to Jerusalem and you spend the money on food and you eat that food in Yerushalayim. It's much easier to transport money than it is to transport the uh, the items themselves. So reading the Pasuk, so you'll take uh, the money, you'll wrap it up. It to wrap it up uh, in your hand. And you will go to the place that God chose. Now, it should be pointed out in just an observation that I'm making. Nowhere in the Torah does it tell us that this place that God has chosen to put his uh, his presence is Jerusalem. It just keeps on saying the place, the place, the makom, where the Shekhinah is, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very, very interesting why the Torah would not uh, divulge this information. I mean, it's, it's important information. It's not like the Torah is not talking about it. The whole parasha was talking about when you're going to go, build the Beit HaMikdash, you're going to the Korbanot. But there's no... I mean, if, you, if you just have a humash in front of you, you really have no idea if the Beit HaMikdash is going to be in, uh, well, we know it's Israel, you don't know what city. It could be in Tiberias, it could be in Sfat, it could be in Meron, uh, Hebron, it could be anywhere. We have no 
indication from the text that it's actually uh, Jerusalem. And that probably needs some, uh, you know, analysis. You know, what, why, what, why, 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 why not say it? I think Harambam, Maimonides in his Guide to the Perplexed, actually raises this question, if I'm not mistaken. And if my memory doesn't fail me, one of the answers he says is, is because if the Torah would have divulged the information, the Goyim would have destroyed the city before we get there. And therefore, it's just to protect it from, uh, protect it from our enemies. We don't want to spill the beans, so they know that how important Jerusalem is to us. So before we get there, the, the Yevusim or whoever was there before us, will just, uh, they'll raise it to the ground. So therefore, that's, that's an Ambam's understanding. And another understanding that Ambam says is because it, it'll, cause, it'll cause a civil war between the Jews. Because once everybody knows that Jerusalem is the best city, everybody's going to want it. And they're going to start fighting, and they're going to be, you know, it's like they fight for the, uh, for the Maftir of Yonah and Yom Kippur. Could you imagine what they do for the city of Jerusalem? So there'll be a lot of rivalry and mahloket. So therefore, Torah doesn't tell it us to the last, the last minute. That's the, uh, the Rambam. Anyway, take the Kesef. That's the money. And you can go and spend it on whatever your heart's desires, as long as it's food, babakar, son, yayin, shechar, meat, wine, beer, whatever, um, you know, whatever your heart's, heart's desires. Again, it has to be um, a food stuff. It can't be clothes or something like that. Ba'achalta. Sham, and you'll eat it there in Jerusalem. And you will rejoice with your family. And don't forget to give the Levi his, his part. That's Masini. Shoni gets 10% also. Uh, that's the Levi. Okay? He doesn't really get a, a share in the land. Um, but he does get certain things. Let's say uh, we have laws in the field that you have to leave the corners of the field. Just pe'ah. Or let's say you're cutting the wheat and you forget a couple of stalks there. Shekha and leket. He does. Uh, he does get a chelik um, in that in that portion that she says. Yatsu leket shekha pe'ah be'efkev. Fine. Now, we need to point out that there's a Shemitah cycle. The Shemitah cycle seven years. So in the first, in the second, in the fourth, in the fifth, in those years, you must give not only 10% to the Levi, but you must take an additional 10%, which we're learning tonight, called Ma'asir Sheni, size number two, and bring it to Jerusalem. That's what we learned tonight. However, in the third and in the sixth year of the Shemitah cycle, so they do not give Ma'asir Sheni. Instead, it's replaced with another Ma'asir called Ma'asir Ani. And that's 10% that goes to the, to the poor people. So it's the same out of pocket than every year. It's just that instead of bringing it to Jerusalem, to eat for yourselves, 
you have to give it to the Aniyim. So again, year one, two, four, five, it's Maaser Sheni. Year three and six, it's Maaser Aniyim. Torah is going to tell us now. Shalosh Shanim, Mekseh Shalosh Shanim, to see it called Maaser Tvatchem Shnei Binachta Misharecha, Uba'a Levi Kenu Halik Benachalai Mer Vahagiva Yatom Almana. In the third year, let the gay, the yatom, the widow, the orphan, and the poor people, they'll come and uh, be satiated. So God can bless you with all of your uh, your handiwork. Um, now, uh, that she says you have to give them a, a substantial amount in order they can have, be satisfied. So here the rabbis learn. And we have to give them, uh, uh, which is a half a calf of wheat, which is a significant amount. And after the third year, you take to Jerusalem. Oh, and then it says that um, uh, there's a law that says after the third year, you must confess that you gave your ma'asrot. It's like a... Um, um, it's like a, a, a confession of a sort where you have to disclose and say, I gave uh, the Kohen what he was supposed to get, I gave the Levi what he was supposed to get, I gave the Anim. You have to make sure that you confess uh, and disclose that you gave all the uh, Masro. Um, fine. Now we get to the law uh, that applies this year, which is actually the Law of Shemitah. Miket Sheva Shanim Shemitah. At the end of seven years, so we have a Shemitah, which is a sabbatical year. Now, the sabbatical year that we're learning tonight is not only for the field, but it's for loans. Loans are also canceled during Shemitah. So that she writes, Lechol Melveh to every single loan, So what happens in the Shemitah? So every creditor has to release his authority over what he lent. He cannot bother his friend, his brother. So that's a, uh, that's a rough law now. So it's a, if you lend money now, the Shemitah year comes, that's it. Balance zero. If the Nochrit goes, you're allowed to collect from non-Jews. God will bless you as a result of following this law over here. As long as you're following the will of God, then there will not be impoverished people amongst you. Now, she just explains the word evyon. Sometimes we use the word ani, sometimes we use the word evyon. So that she says uh, an evyon is actually even poorer than an ani. Evyon is expression, comes from, he desires everything. He longs for everything because he has nothing. He's the evyon, he's needy. He, he, he has, ani at least might have something, but the evyon doesn't have anything. So the Torah says, that as long as we follow the will of God and give the tithes as we're supposed to, so that will protect us from uh, from anut, from evyonut, that God has commanded us. 
כי השם אלוהיך מלך הקשב, אלא God bless you, והבתגויים רבים, you will lend money to many nations, ואתה לא תעבוד, but you will, need, you will not need to borrow. ומה שאתה בגויים רבים, you will rule over many nations, ובכלל לא ימשור, they will not rule over you. So that's, um, you will lend money and take collaterals, as she says. That's what the word ha'avot means. You will take collaterals. Normally when a person lends money, he takes the collateral just, just in case they won't pay. Um, as she says, but they will not rule over you. Okay, that's it. So, nice finish, a lot of stuff. A lot to go. There's a long one tomorrow. Nonetheless, uh, we did it uh, every night with him. It's a night. Stop over here. Wish our members a Chodesh Tov and a Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. And we'll pick this up, Bezat Hashem, uh, next week. Amen. Amen.